Matthew chapter 24, which has kind of been our central text. Revelation chapter 6. And morning. so before the first service, I, a lot of times I'll pray and I'll say, Lord, is there a word you want me to know for me as I get in the pulpit? And he had me turn to Ezekiel chapter 3 and it says, Ezekiel is a watchman on the wall. And that's what the Lord has me just, just giving you the information. Whatever you do with it, well, I hope you do exactly what the Lord wants you to do with it. And then in the second passage for this service, uh, this is the passage you gave me. He says, is not my, it's from Jeremiah chapter 23. Is not my word like a fire, says the Lord, like a hammer that breaks rock in pieces. So God wants the word to break up whatever hardness is in us and, and break any hardness in our hearts this morning. First passage, uh, Matthew chapter 24. Picking up with where we left off, and so Jesus speaking in the Olivet Discourse, there he is on the Mount of Olives speaking to the disciples. Verse 29, he's already been speaking about the tribulation period. He continues uh, with the latter end of it here. Verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn when they see, will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Let me ask you a question. How many think Jesus is telling the truth here? How many think Jesus knows exactly what's going to happen to this world? And he really does hold the whole thing. Okay. If he's telling the truth here, you can better believe he's telling the truth when we get to the book of Revelation. Turn over to Revelation chapter 6. Although this is what he gave to John. You don't, it's not red letter. There is red letter passages in the book of Revelation, particularly in the first part and the end of the book. But he just told you what the world was going to, the heavens will be shaken. The skies will go dark. Jesus said all that, so now John gets a whole bunch of other information, filling in the blanks. Revelation 6, verse 1. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now, Revelation 19. By the way, good morning to those of you online. I was a little too fired up about other things. Uh, people getting saved and stuff like that. So, good to have you guys joining us as well. Uh, Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Now we just saw a white horse there in chapter 6. Verse 11, chapter 19. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and he had on his head many crowns. 
He had a name written, which no one knows except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, we bow before the King of kings, as we just did, Lord, physically, but we do it in our hearts and our spirit. And Lord, we want to receive your words. You spoke there on the Mount of Olives. You gave the disciples and us exactly what would took place. And then on the Isle of Patmos, you gave John the rest of the story. But Lord, it's not a story. It's the future of this world. And Lord, we want to be aware of it, that we're prepared for it, and we pray, Lord, that we would receive your truth with soft hearts and repentant hearts, that we might know you more, and if anyone here doesn't know you at all, that they would know you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we ask for your help with this study. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. So, what we just read particularly Revelation chapter 6, the first seal, a man on a white horse, and chapter 19, another white horse. So what we read is how it starts and how it ends. And then the rest of today and next Sunday will fill in the bookends of how the tribulation starts, how the tribulation ends, and what happens in between today the first three and a half years. But with what we just read, you saw two white horses, two kings each sitting on a white horse. And that's where any of the visible similarities end. The one in chapter 6 opens the first of the seals or Jesus opens the seals, but I mean the, the man on the horse opens what is the opening events. And he sets out to conquer the world. The other, in chapter 19, it's on the other white horse, he's already conquered the world. In fact, he's the creator of the world. It's already conquered sin, death, and Satan. The ruler in chapter 6 has a bow in his hand. The king, in chapter 19, has a sword that proceeds from his mouth. The ruler, in chapter 6, has a crown he's been given. The king, in chapter 19, has many crowns upon his head. The ruler, in chapter 6, has a tiny little sliver, brief time and world history where he's given some power. The king, in chapter 19, well, he's the king of kings. He's the lord of lords. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He has a throne that's everlasting that will never end. In fact, it was before time began. The ruler in chapter 6 will use deception, violence, sin, temptation, flattery, and flat-out lies to bring death to millions and take millions to hell. The king in chapter 19 Oh, he's brought love, truth, 
and deliverance from death and hell to millions, including many of us here, through his own sacrificial blood, and he's already taken millions with him to heaven, and will be taking millions more that believe on his name. The ruler in chapter 6, he has a short seven-year span of seeming victory before he is utterly and eternally defeated. The king in chapter 19, he had a short three-day span of what seemed like defeat, but he actually utterly defeated sin, death, and Satan, and now he's eternally exalted. The ruler in chapter 6 will be part of history. The king in chapter 19 holds all of history. The book of Revelation is actually titled The Revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the full title, The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The whole book is to display his power, his authority, his glory. And just as Jesus declares in Matthew chapter 24 that he will bring a sudden end to the dominion and evil of this present world, John, the Apostle John, he was there with Jesus on the Mount of Olives. He was there for the Olive Discourse. And now he receives in the book of Revelation when he was on the Olive Patmos, he receives this vivid description and visions and details, and he actually travels into the future himself, and he sees what transpires between the false Messiah and the glorious coming at the end of the true Messiah to the world. The true Messiah, well, he's the king. He's the mighty God. He's the everlasting father. Don't lose sight or track of the facts. As born-again believers, yes, we're to know about the end times. Yes, we're to understand prophecy. We're to be understanding these things, but when it comes to Jesus, we're to be in awe of him. In awe of him. Not in awe of prophecy, per se, in awe of Jesus, who is our Lord and Savior, the Lamb of God. If you're taking notes this morning, you see the title this morning, Portrait of Prophecy. This is part four. Uh, and I've titled it, Be Certain. Be Certain. What is it that Jesus wants us to be certain of? Well, it's exactly the same certainty that Job, who was a contemporary, we believe, of Abraham, that Job had. And by the way, Job endured some horrific trials of his own, didn't he? And difficulties and confusion and days where he was depressed and down. So if you've had that going on in your life, you're not alone. Saints before you have gone through. But Job endured all that because he was able to persevere because he was certain that Jesus was his redeemer and that he would stand at last on the earth at the end and that Job would be standing with him and that Christ would stand victoriously. And that's our hope. The additional good news, you want some more good news? Because we're about to have a lot of bad news. But anyway, so additional good news, we're going to stand with Jesus. If we put our trust in him, if, if our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and all the prophetic details that we've been looking at and we'll look at 
today, next week, and the week after, all these prophetic details are to assure us that this fallen world, this spirit of Antichrist that's all around us, and it's not new, it was there in the Roman world in the first century, it's just continuing to grow. All of that is going to be cast into hell. All of it. Literally into the lake of fire, and that's also in the book of Revelation. But life in Jesus is the complete opposite. It's eternal life and joy with God the Father. Let's jump right into what we know is the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble, also known as the seven-year tribulation period. And again, we'll look at uh, thank you to the Lord. Um, I really wanted to have Sam here next week, but God says, Sam needs a break and you need more time on this study. So, uh, so God said, I'm going to remove both of your chess pieces for a little bit, and this is the way it's going to go. But, so we'll look at the first half this morning. And we'll come back to Jesus' um, his emphatic and reassuring words there in the Olivet Discourse of his victorious return and his gathering of all the saints. We'll look at that more next week. And again, in the, uh, when we look at the rapture of the church, we'll look at some of that as well. Uh, but from a tribulation overview, the seven-year tribulation, from an overview, and the seven-year tribulation does not include chapters 1 through 5, nor does it include chapters 20 through 22. So Jesus has the letter to the churches, and we see John caught up into the heavens, and you have the millennium reign of Christ and heaven, and all that is in chapter 20 and 22. But the tribulation period is marked by three sets of sevens. You, you guys, some of you are very familiar with this, some of you may be not familiar at all, but the seven judgments are announced, or, or 21 total, but you have three sets of seven. And we'll look at uh, all of these this week and next week. Today we'll look at the first two. Um, the first seven seals, Jesus opens each seal. So if you think of a scroll, remember how scrolls were sealed with a wax seal and they were emblazoned with the ruler's insignia, like a ring, insignia ring. Jesus loosens the seven seals. He personally, personally, his nail-pierced hands are going to loosen all seven seals. But then the second set... The seven trumpets, those are sounded by mighty angels. And then the bowls are poured out by mighty angels. At God's spoken, they just do whatever God says. So they, and they're the ones that grab the four winds of the earth and all of those powerful things. God has his own mighty angels that he will use for the second two sets of seven. But let's take the next 45 minutes or so to understand uh, the breadth and some of the vivid details that John uh, receives, and then those things will complement what we looked at in the book of Daniel and Jesus' uh, prior words in the Olivet Discourse. Uh, I want to say also I'm really thankful to Dr. Arnold Frechtenbaum. Uh, I know that's a mouthful there, but that is his full name. Dr. Arnold Frechtenbaum is a Jewish uh, believer who has taught all over the world. He's a good friend of Dr. Sam's as well. And uh, Sam and him have actually done quite a few speaking engagements together and seminars and things like that. Uh, and I share most of Dr. Frechtenbaum's, not all of his eschatology, eschatology views, but I share most of his views. Uh, and he's created several really detailed, helpful charts. And I've had to create a ton of content as it is, but he saved me some time. So some content I didn't have to create, I can just kind of repurpose it 
and put some kind of highlights on it and things like that. So it saves me time, saves us time. Uh, but for the record, almost every chart, I think but one on his site, is created by himself and his team. He does have on his site, and I just want to put this out there so no one has to email me about it. He does have uh, Finnis Dake's Plan of the Ages chart, which in and of itself, the chart is solid from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, but I'm not aware of Dr. Frechtenbaum agreeing with Finnis Dake's some of his controversial theologies, some of which I think are just flat out false, uh, nor do I think he's any way endorsing the Dake Study Bible, which I, I personally would not endorse, and I don't think Dr. Frechtenbaum, he's just saying the chart itself uh, is solid. But I just wanted to put that out there so now you don't have to email me about that. But anyway, uh, let's go back to Revelation chapter 6 and the 70th, uh, the 70th week where the seven-year tribulation begins. Uh, and again, this is going to be high level. We can't spend a ton of time on each one and every one of these, but you'll know where they fall in the timeline and you'll know uh, kind of the progression of the tribulation, how it progresses, and some things that are happening in parallel. And some of the things that are happening in parallel, it kind of will, um, it's hard to believe that some normalcy can happen, and as well as these things that just are going to be mind-blowing for us to kind of wrap our heads around. Uh, but hopefully in all this, uh, you're more settled in knowing that Jesus is in total control. So the first seal, remember Jesus is the one that opens the seals. Uh, the first seal, just as Jesus had started um, in his Olive Discourse, he started, he said, when you see the abomination of desolation. Jesus started his Olive Discourse. When he spoke of the seven-year tribulation, the first person he mentions is the Antichrist. That's important because it's the Antichrist, and Daniel references the Antichrist as well with the Ten Kingdom as the toes at the bottom of that statue, if you recall. And that Ten Kingdom conglomerate or confederacy is going to give rise to the abomination of desolations. Um, and remember, Daniel had descriptions of him as well, his sinister schemes, his pompous words, all of those type things. But Jesus starts with the Olive Discourse with the Antichrist, and we see the Antichrist here in the first seal is going to come on the scene. And when we take Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 together, because 2 speaks of another uh, fiery red horse, and it says that peace, you can look in your Bibles, it's in verse 2 there, that peace will be taken from the earth. But that's in, that's in verse 2, and that's with the second seal. But when we take them together, it appears, many scholars have this view, I have this view, um, not that I'm a scholar, but as a pastor just studies it, um, that the Antichrist, when he appears on the scene, will, for the most part, at the outset, he'll gain a lot of power through charisma, negotiations, stroke of the pen, meetings, gatherings, United Nation-type meetings, NATO-type meetings, and people will just say, yes, we'll allow you to take over. Not everybody will buy into that. There'll be other parts of the world that will balk and say, no, and we'll fight you. But at first, there'll be peace. At first, it will appear, hey, this is working pretty good. But he still is going to have an eye towards any kingdoms or nations that have not acquiesced. 
And there will be also friction of those that haven't acquiesced saying, we will not have this guy rule over us. So that brings us to the second seal, where peace is very short-lived, and it almost certainly involves some pushback from some parts of the world. The Antichrist, again, has gathered a ton of power, but there likely will be other nations that refuse to come under his rule, and world war will break out shortly after there was this blissful time of peace. That's a good warning for us now that things could be peaceful today on Sunday, October the 3rd, but not peaceful by November. Anything could break out in this world. Just in the last few days, China has been flying over Taiwan like crazy. Say, well, that doesn't matter to me because I don't live anywhere. Yes, it will. It'll, It'll wreck the markets like you will not believe if there's an attack on Taiwan. So things like that. I mean, but things can happen fast in this world. We'll see a lot of this will move rather quickly in the, in the tribulation. The third seal, after this world war breaks out, there is worldwide famine. Of course, if there's a massive war, many crops are going to be destroyed. Supply chains are going to be decimated. Reserves are going to be used up. You thought there was supply chain shortages with COVID. You thought, wow. Where are we going to find toilet paper? You know, all this kind of stuff. You know, that, that you thought those shortages were something. You, that's nothing compared to the shortages if there's a world war that breaks out. The fourth seal, the aftershocks of war, will include, will include that Darwinian motto of survival of the fittest. And crime will skyrocket worldwide. Theft. Murder will skyrocket. People looking out for number one, there'll be more starvation. Then in a rather pronounced way, the Bible tells us here in, uh, in the book of Revelation, chapter 6 there, same place we were at, if you look at the fourth seal in chapter 6, one of the interesting signs, it says in that same period, not only will people be starving, uh, killed with the sword, with hunger, with death, and the beast of the earth. So then in a rather pronounced way, animals start attacking and killing people. Uh, the primary meaning of beast just means animal. It doesn't have to mean wild beast. A couple thoughts on seals 2 and 4. 2 is the world war, the first of the world war. Uh, there's going to be a couple of world wars that break out in the tribulation period. Um, the world will get used to war, <laughs> though they won't love it, but uh, it, it won't be uncommon. Like right now we have the, a lot of times that the wars are small skirmishes right now, but this will be complete, all-out, brutal war. Similar to World War II, but, but far worse. A couple of thoughts out of the... Um, by the next world war which could happen in our lifetime, uh, the nations and armies of the world are going to be armed to the teeth exponentially more than at any point in world history. Their weaponry is far more advanced than at any other time in world history. They can do far more destruction in a matter of minutes, and that yet they'll still be hand-to-hand combat. It'll all come, all of it. There'll be quick destruction on a massive scale. 
And then, you know, as I mentioned the, uh, the animals, there's just a few clips from just uh, this year. Every single one of these I found this year. Can you imagine if the, all the bees start attacking us all the time? Like, not just here and there, all the time. Um, God used hornets to drive everybody out of the land of Canaan. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, imagine if uh, your dog, your Rottweiler, starts to look at you and say, one of us is going to eat and it's not going to be you. You know, that, you know the, the... people have been killed this year, uh, a number of people this year, by their own pets. Uh, so if all the animals lose their fear of man or they're starving and they're hungry, then they're just desperate. Not going to be a pretty scene. After the first major worldwide judgment, God told Noah that he was going to put the fear of man and animal. Most bears don't want to see you on the trail. They will just kind of stay away. But if the fear of man is taken away, um, yeah, you, you won't even enjoy the squirrel coming after you uh, if it's in the backyard. It's going to be some crazy stuff. Now looking at the final three seals, Look at the final three seals. Um, the fifth seal tells us that there will be a persecution of the saints. And personally, I believe that after all of this, uh, I believe many people in this country, especially in America, but a lot of other countries too, that were churchgoers will be left here and they were not saved. Uh, we'll get in more of this when we look at the, the rapture of the church and the wise and the foolish virgins. Uh, but I believe that there'll definitely be people, and quite a few, a big number, that will turn to the Lord. And those, there's still you know, millions and billions of people on earth uh, that have yet to hear the gospel. And so the gospel is going to go around the world as well. So there, I believe that there will be uh, a harvest of souls. Uh, but when that harvest begins, many of them that are going to be immediately the Antichrist. It's going to have such a hatred of true Christians. You can be false all you want in the tribulation, that'll be fine. But if you're the real deal, then you'll be marked for martyrdom. Many will be killed. There'll be a Christ-hating uh, just turn on those that have uh, come to the Lord. And uh, in verse 11, it even says that a lot of these Christian martyrs are going to ask God, when are you going to when are you going to make these things right of the blood of the saints? And he will say, rest a little longer. Just rest with the Lord. So even if they are taken from this earth, they'll be resting with Jesus until these things are accomplished. Then you have the sixth seal. So most of the first five seals, other than the animals, uh, the animal part is, is part of the kind of what we call more of the nature of this world. But everything else is kind of human to human battles, famines, disease, all of that kind of stuff. But then things turn with the sixth seal. The earth begins to groan. And God begins to shake the foundations of the heavens and the earth like this world has never, ever seen. Not even close Let's read Revelation uh, 6, starting verse 12. Turn your Bibles back to chapter 6 there. Look at what happens when the sixth seal is opened. I looked when he opened the sixth seal. Behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth 
of hair and moon and became like blood. Now this is similar to what Jesus was talking about, although Jesus is talking about even another period further at the end. But I'm just saying there's similarities. All this is coming from God's judgment. Anyway, verse 13, And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. Every mountain and island would move out of its place. Can you imagine something that moves every single island and mountain on earth? But the Bible never exaggerates. Whatever it says, it means. And the kings of the earth, this is where it gets real interesting. Look at verse 15. And the kings of the earth, and the great men, and the rich men, and the powerful, whatever, you, all the guys with power, and the commanders, and the mighty men, every slave, every free man, hid themselves in the caves and the rocks of mountains. They're not looking for five-star hotels here. They're looking for caves. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the, there it is, lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? At that time, it doesn't matter if you're the president, if you're an emperor, if you're the Antichrist, if you have uh, a helm in Beverly Hills, if you have seven homes around the world, you are, where can I hide and find enough shelter to survive this? Won't matter how much you make, everybody will be leveled at that point. There'll be a class envy at that moment. It's just hide us from the lamb. They know where this is coming from. The saints there that are martyred, God says, rest a little while. Everyone else on the earth that resists God, wrath from the lamb. The wrath of the lamb. Same lamb. Some are resting with the lamb. Others are receiving the wrath of the lamb. There's not... We never call lions lambs, but Jesus is both. The sixth seal makes all prior seismic activity that we know of in this world, other than the flood itself, which, was, which most of today's people don't even believe there was a flood. <laughs> and that's evidence that we're getting closer to Jesus coming back. Because whatever they don't believe about God further proves that they're not ready to face God. But all this, everything that happens in the sixth seal will make other prior seismic activity look like child's play that has ever taken place on this earth. The 1883 volcanic blast of Krakatoa. Some of you have heard of Krakatoa? It's in Indonesia. It's still there now. The, the volcano is much smaller. It's still active. It blew uh, a couple of years ago, but not like it did in 1883. When it, when it blew its top in 1883. It destroyed the entire island. It created a tsunami that reportedly had a 150-foot wave. 150-foot high wave. It generated hurricane-force winds when it exploded. It wiped out 165 villages there in Southeast Asia and the Pacific. Many scientists believe that when Krakatoa exploded in 1883, many scientists believe it was the loudest sound ever recorded in world history. People 3,000 miles away from Krakatoa heard what they thought was heavy gunfire, but it was the volcano exploding. 
3,000 miles away. That's like farther than New York and Los Angeles, farther than New York to Dublin, Ireland, but in both cases by a couple hundred miles farther. It's like, hmm, I hear gunfire in New York and I live in L.A. But it was a volcano erupting. The incredibly powerful sound waves circled the entire globe four times. Four times. The online magazine Nautilus, which is similar to National Geographic, writes this, says the British ship Norham Castle, this British ship was 40 miles from Krakatoa at the time of the explosion. The ship's captain wrote this in his blog, 1883. So violent are the explosions that the eardrums of over half of my crew have been shattered. My last thoughts are now with my dear wife. I am convinced that Judgment Day has come. You know, you don't have to believe in Judgment Day, but when it happens, everyone will believe. Remember the same people that say, oh, I don't believe in Jesus. They said, hide us from the wrath of the Lamb. Now to give perspective of something shattering your eardrums 40 miles away, we're right here on Genito Road. King's Dominion is 35 miles from us. Go five miles past and your eardrums would be shattered. And we don't know if that's as far as it went. That's one captain's log. Most everybody was wiped out by the tsunami, so there was no logs. <laughs> so, and everything else, so it's really even hard to say how far out that sound blast. Because when sound... It actually has power. The, the, the sound wave from nuclear bombs, example, they have a shock wave, that's what it's called, and it blasts the eardrums. But destruction like that, Krakatoa is just one volcano. This sign says every mountain, and every mountain is a, every volcano, by the way, is a mountain. <laughs> so every mountain will be moved, and every island, can you imagine? Many Krakatoas at one time. Can you imagine the sound alone on planet Earth would reverberate? It's truly mind-boggling what will be unleashed. Between the sixth and seventh seals, in the middle of all this, God still has a redemption plan because he st still loves souls. And he still is going to be reaching out, and he seals 144,000 Jewish witnesses right at the same, between the 6th and 7th seal, 144,000 Jewish witnesses are sealed, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes. All 144,000 are men. No, God is not sexist. All 144,000 are virgin men. They all have kind of like a total covenant relationship that God, we are completely sold out to just do it. It says that they follow the Lamb wherever He goes. I look at them as, remember there was 12, you had 12 apostles? Now you have 144,000 that have the same kind of zeal for the Lord that the 12 apostles had. And they're all 144,000 sold out to Christ, virgin, Jewish, messianic believers in Jesus. They're not Gentiles, all from the 12 tribes. And I believe that they're sent out as modern-day Apostle Pauls all over planet Earth to bring the gospel. Now, I did some math. 
If you take the current world population, which is 7.9 billion, somewhere in that range, if 10% of the world is gone with the rapture, and then after that, one-fourth of the world dies and seals one through five, we would be left at this point, when the 144,000 are sealed, 5.4 billion people left on earth. 5.4 billion people. Which, if each of the 144,000 get an equal portion to go share the gospel on street corners or wherever they do it, they would actually each have to speak audibly to 37,500 people. That's not a big number, is it? Not when you have people with the kind of zeal that Apostle Paul had and John the Baptist had. They're not like today's mediocre, lukewarm American church. John the Baptist and Paul reached lots of people just by themselves. And they have 144,000 powerful witnesses that God will seal for that time. The seventh seal actually contains the next seven, the next set of seven, which is the seven trumpets. So the seventh seal, Jesus breaks the seal and it contains the seven trumpets. And there's silence. When, when that happens, did you know there's silence in heaven for a full 30 minutes? Not a sound. Even the angels say, holy, holy, holy. Everything is silent. Why? Because all of heaven sees that what God's poured out already is about to be even more intense than it already was. And the wrath of God is going to increase on an unrepentant world. So then you have the first trumpet, and what happens with the first trumpet? One-third of all of earth's dry land will be destroyed. One-third of all dry land will be completely destroyed. Unusable, unlivable. Second trumpet, one-third of all the earth's oceans will be completely destroyed, not a single thing will be able to live in one-third of the ocean. I don't know what third, you don't know, I don't know, none of us know which one-third it is. But a third of the oceans will be destroyed. Third trumpet, a third of all the fresh water supply will be gone. We already have fresh water supply shortages uh, in various parts of the world, and then you can cut all of that by a third. And all of this appears to be the result of more asteroids that come from outer space and just devastating. You, you, any of you ever been to um, Crater National Park there in Arizona? I've been there. Standing, it's amazing. You stand there and you, I think you can put, I don't remember what they told me, several hundred football fields can be put in there and it's, it's huge. And, uh, it is, it, and, but imagine a bunch of those. Because they always say, when, you, when you're there, they tell you, and eight billion years ago, and there were some dinosaurs here, and all this stuff, and, and you're like, no, that's not how it went. <laughs> but anyway, that, um, all the, the destruction of the land, and the fresh water, and the ocean supply, uh, appears to be from asteroids, the way the Bible describes it. Then you have the fourth trumpet, one-third of the Earth's light is gone or blocked out, and that could be due to residual smoke. All kinds of things could cut a third of the world, world's light. Uh, that will cause major problems with every weather pattern and all kinds of everything, your, our biorhythms, everything. Uh, major issue when a third of the light is gone. Plants need 
for photosynthesis, all kinds of things, major issue with all that. The fifth and sixth trumpet are really uh, something that believers have scratched their heads over for many years. None of us have a full understanding of what exactly this is. Some believe that this fifth and sixth trumpet are literal demons that are let out of the bottomless pit, and literally the world who had loved to worship demons will find that demons will torture them in a way they never thought was possible. Others believe that this is the same demonic world just indwelling a certain part of the population, so you have way more demon-possessed people that have superhuman strength and are vile and, and just can tear people to shreds. Remember, if a demon, remember the demons uh, in, in the book of Acts, they tore a guy up. They jumped inside of another man and just tore to shreds a couple that thought they could cast demons out. So whether it's the literal demons themselves or a certain number of the population is so filled with demons that they have superhuman strength and power, whatever it is, we don't know, but they are given in the fifth and sixth seal, God allows the demonic horde to torment and kill a third of humanity. A third of humanity. And it will probably be in some of the most horrific ways that you can possibly imagine because it says that they're tormented and a third of humanity is killed by this demonic realm. Uh, and again, we don't know exactly how that plays out. So that would mean if a third of humanity now dies at this point under the trumpets, under the fifth and sixth trumpets, that would mean another 1.8 billion people would be gone, bringing the population now down to 3.6 billion. It started at 7.9. You think that the death toll from COVID's high? 7.9. Of course, the rapture is played into that number too, but then that would bring the world's population to 3.6 billion. The Bible says, the, the, the angel informs John, those that don't die will wish they could die. Here's what it says. In those days, men will seek death and not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. You either will die or want to die and can't die. Those are the two areas for those that have resisted and said to God, not interested, not going to repent. Now, during this same period, again, it's kind of hard to believe that there's periods of normalcy, but uh, hold the thought for a second. When you read the stories of how Moses confronted Pharaoh, doesn't it look like it would be impossible for Egypt to have any normalcy at all, but they, they kind of regroup a bunch of times and try and get back to normal. This is always man's... No matter what God shows them, like, uh, we can fix this. You know. Uh, did you realize that every island got moved? We can still fix it. <laughs> We're smart. We have satellites. We can get the phones working again because there's going to be times when your smartphone will not work in the tribulation at all. That's right, nothing will work. And then they'll get it working again and then it won't work again for another three months and then it'll get it working again for two days. Another outage. But in this time, same during this time, in this first three and a half period, God does something amazing. He sends two witnesses which most scholars believe to be Elijah the prophet and Enoch, who went up into heaven, both Elijah and Enoch never died. They both were taken up. They had their own little rapture 
Others believe it's Moses and Elijah. They appeared with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and they represent the Law and the Prophets. I don't know. You don't know. It says two witnesses. I do believe it's two of those three men. But imagine a modern world with either Moses and Elijah or Enoch and Elijah preaching constantly from Jerusalem and all the world's smartphones and everything. Hey, did you hear what Elijah said today? He said, this isn't going to go away. He said, unless we repent, yeah, he, he says he's from 3,000 years ago and all that stuff. And it, well, he's dressed like it. You know, he's wearing a robe and all that kind of thing. And, and then, lo and behold, they have power to call down fire. They can turn water into blood. And the Bible says that they do, they can strike the world with any plague that they desire. It almost like God gives them a blank check and says, you don't have to pray about it. If you're having a bad day, take it out on them. <laughs> That's the way it's written. He says, whatever they desire. Right, right. That they don't even have to talk. Lord, should I send blood? No, if you want to turn there, all those rivers of blood, go for it. And for three and a half years, they'll preach. And anyone that tries to come at them, they'll consume them with fire. Right, right, right. That's a pretty good sign that we probably should listen to these two. All this is happening while the plagues are happening. God seems to have a bubble on his witnesses. They're sealed much like Israel and Goshen. They seem to be protected to some degree. We don't understand how all that works. But in this time, the Antichrist has a, is accumulating more and more power in this first three and a half years. And he's accumulating power and through the wars and everything else. And even when things go bad, he's the smartest guy in the room to fix it. And here's how we're going to stop asteroids. We're going to get the space defense system. He'll have all the answers. And Israel still will believe that he is the reason they can now worship their God and they'll come and they'll see Moses and Elijah or, Moses or Enoch and Elijah and they'll worship and all that stuff. And the Antichrist is biding his time because he's going to double cross everybody there. But that doesn't happen until the midway point. We're almost there. So he's in power but he hasn't shown all his cards. He hasn't yet enslaved the whole world under the mark of the beast. That comes in the second half. In addition to all the other things that are going on, these judgments, the seals, the trumpets, the natural disasters, the cosmic disasters, the carnage of mankind towards each other, the demonic horde, what the two witnesses are unleashing anytime that God allows them to do it. All I can say is I don't want to be here for any of that. How about y'all? I do not want to be. I wouldn't even want to be at Krakatoa, and that's just one thing. I didn't even want to be at 9-11. I was shook to the core on 9-11. In my hotel in Cincinnati. I mean, I just imagine. I don't want to be for any of that, but I don't believe those who are saved in this right now, in the age of grace, if you're in the age of I don't believe you have to go through that. We'll get to that in the tribulate. We get to the rapture, and if you believe we're going through it, that's fine. If I'm wrong, we'll all be there together anyway, but uh, we've got to move forward here. By the way, last thing I didn't mention what was on the screen. I did want to point out again uh, so the two witnesses will there, they'll be there in Jerusalem. Uh, many times I believe they'll preach right in front of the temple, uh, but they will be there in Jerusalem. And I, I talked about a couple weeks ago, there is room for the future temple right to the north of the Dome of the Rock. And you can see, I took that, both those pictures on the, on the flat, uh, it looks like um, where you see the lamppost. You're looking back at the Mount of Olives. That's actually the same angle from either direction, either looking to or looking from. Um, and so 
There is room, and the Bible says that the last temple that will be put there, it says leave out the court of the Gentiles, that by leaving out the court of the Gentiles, you can have a much smaller space to put the temple, and that would be perfect in, in today's coexist bumper stickers that you would actually, hey, let's put a cathedral beside that one, which they're doing, I think, in Dubai or something like that. We'll put them all together, and everyone just kind of be one happy religious family, which the Antichrist is going to foster that until he gets rid of all religions to worship himself. We'll get into all that next week. But again, there is room for that temple to be put there. So then the seventh trumpet is sounded, and the third woe is announced, and that brings us to the middle of the tribulation. And so next week we'll look at um, the next or the last three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation, which, if you can believe it, increases in intensity. But I go back to what I asked you earlier. Do you believe what Jesus said is true? He's the one that gave John all of this. He is the one, how do we know that Jesus gave John? Because he, he's the first to appear to John on the Isle of Patmos, and John falls at his feet like a dead man, and Jesus says, write these things. Write it all down. It all comes from Jesus. Jesus is telling him, everything I told you, now John and Jesus are not strangers. John, last time he saw Jesus, or not the exact last time, but in the last month or so of his earthly life, John was laying on Jesus' bosom. When he sees Jesus face to face, he falls like a dead man because Jesus is in his glorified state. And so John was there at the Olivet Discourse, and John had already gotten the Olivet Discourse in his mind because he was there. But Jesus is like, now I'm going to share it with the rest of it. So if you believe Jesus is telling the truth in Matthew 24, which of course he is, then you have to believe all of this. And of course, we know that everything else Jesus said that would take place already has. The temple's already been destroyed. Exactly he said. People are using his name. All kinds of religions are in the name of Jesus that are not born again at all. They're, they're cults in many cases. All of that. So then he comes out, John the Isle of Patmos says, this, you guys were asking me in the Mount of Olives, tell us how the end will be. I gave you the cliff notes. Now I'm going to give any senses, angels, to give John some of it too. The whole 22 chapters of Revelation is all the rest of it. And so next week we'll look at just the last three and a half years, which increases intensity, but also brings what we call the second coming of Christ, where Jesus is going to return the Mount of Olives. We'll look at all that. But of what we looked at today, but just of the first three and a half years, how does the world respond to the judgment God pours out in the first three and a half years? Sadly, harder hearts and unrepentant. This is the response to the first half of the tribulation. Revelation 9, verse 20 and 21. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works. Exactly like Pharaoh in Egypt. Exactly like Pharaoh. Did not repent of the work. Pharaoh didn't care. You would have to literally kill him before he finally would relent. Would not repent. Uh, Repent of the work of their hand, that they should worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and wood, which are neither, which can neither see nor hear nor walk, and they did not repent of their murders and their sorceries and their sexual immorality and their thefts. And this is our society today. You can show them that this particular thing you're doing is certain destruction. 
I don't care. I want my choice. I will not give it up. I will not give, I, I will, I'll base my politics on this. I'll base everything I think on my way of doing it. It's my way and no one's going to tell me otherwise. And God says, okay, if that's what you want, you get all of what comes with that, which is basically the forces of hell itself. That's how the world responds. Millions will respond. You see, it won't be an issue of evidence. We already saw that even in the first six seals, they cry out, who will save us from the wrath of the Lamb? People will know they're saying no to Jesus. It won't be like, like I wonder who's doing this. They'll be shaking their fist at God saying, bring it on. While at the same time, wanting to survive it. Also wanting to die or dying. They're not being able to die. All of this, very sad. It's not an issue of evidence. It's insolence. Millions of hearts refusing to acknowledge the authority of God and having no interest in the grace of God, no interest in the mercy of God, no interest in the salvation that Jesus offers. It's not an issue of evidence today either. You know, It's not like people don't know enough. Most people... They have access to a Bible. Easy to get one in America. It's not an issue of evidence. Anyone can open it up and see for themselves what the scriptures say. Jesus himself said, repent. I'm not telling you to repent. Jesus is telling you to repent. Second Peter, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come. No one will be able to stand before God someday and say, it's your fault. No one will ever be able to say that, ever. He was always willing the people to repent. But I love, he will, if we do repent, he'll make us the children of God. Isn't that great? I'm glad that God is now my father. He's not, like, you know, people that have dollar bills and they say, in God we trust, that's just some name to them. God for you and me, they're born again, he's literally my father. How about yours? Like, literally, I talk to God way more than I talk to y'all. My wife talks to God more than she talks to me. And I talk to God more than I talk to her. Now we still love each other. It's because we talk to God that our love's even better. And so everything about our relationship with God is personal, but it came through repentance. It came through responding to God's grace. It came through believing what Jesus said. Jesus said, you must be born again. I took that literal and said, if he said I must be born again, guess what? I must be born again. And so that's what he is still saying, because the tribulation hasn't come yet. All of this is available for people. It's like a detour sign and say, please turn around now. Right? I no more want to be in the tribulation than I want to be in hell itself. I don't want to go to either place. How about y'all? And so I find that God telling us in advance is a great evidence of his love. I mean, if, if you knew, if you knew for a fact that in three weeks, you'll never be able to find toilet paper for the next 10 years. And that was a concern a year ago. <laughs> right? If you knew that you would not be able to find toilet paper for the next 10 years, you would go find some quick. Right? And God's given you a way, or giving all of us a way more forewarning than that. Wouldn't you agree? A far more important forewarning. 
It's not an issue of evidence. He's still extending grace. And praise God, he's still saving lives. We had a guy get saved in the first service. I hope we get one, two, three more saved uh, before we leave here today. It's not an issue of evidence. It's evident that everything Jesus said is true. We see the evil in the world. We know that this world is crumbling. But hey, as was written in Revelation chapter 6, when it comes to Jesus, in the end, everyone, listen to me on this, in the end, when it comes to Jesus himself, everyone will either find the rest of the Lamb or the wrath of the Lamb. Everyone. Every single person that lived a thousand years ago, five thousand years ago, five years ago, or will live in the next 50 years, it doesn't matter. At all point in history, every single person, well, I just don't really care one way or the other about Jesus. One way or the other, either the rest of the Lamb or the wrath of the Lamb. That's the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue confess. There's not anyone that will say at the end of it all, you know, I chose the middle ground of no decision. Everyone, that's what God's, he's, the, the Valley of Jehoshaphat, which we'll look at next week, is called the Valley of Decision, where God will bring the whole world to a decision point. Everyone will have to determine yes to Jesus, no to Jesus. I want to hold on to my sins, or I want to be forgiven of my sins. It's that straightforward. It's that clear. But hey, Jesus wants to give rest. It's why in his earthly ministry, not only did he say repent, but he also said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Antichrist is not going to give the world rest. He's going to give them enslavement. Whereas Jesus is saying, I'll give you rest and eternal life and a home in heaven. I want to close with this. I was listening uh, yesterday. I was finishing up a run, and I often will listen to scripture or, and worship music. And, uh, but this verse popped as it was just kind of going through and it just really kind of jumped off the page, although I was listening audibly. And uh, it's when Peter looked at a man, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise and walk. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. And if the Lord is speaking to you, just really spoke to me yesterday. Um, I came to Christ, my wife and I, on the same day, June 1995. You guys know my story. I've told it to you so many times. You know it. But we had closed down a bar, two in the morning in Fort Lauderdale. I was hungover the next day. We drove, and something told me to go to church, and I got to church, and the message that was preached that day was out of the book of Revelation. And I went forward that day and got saved. I've never been the same. I've never gone back to the world. I've never kind of like said, oh, that was a one day. No, I, God totally, radically 180'd me just like he did Paul on the road to Damascus. I've never gone back. But that verse spoke to me yesterday where Peter says, rise and walk. And if the Lord is speaking to you here this morning, I, I'm speaking to those of you that are online too. But if you have heard the Lord speak to you, I'm going to invite you to just walk down and stand in front of this altar. I haven't done an altar call in ages, but I mean, I've given the call of salvation many, many, many times. And I don't know why, but Lord, just put that on my heart. If the Lord is speaking to you, and I'm going to ask Tuan to come up and just play softly. Um, 
if there's anyone at all, and the Lord is speaking to you, Jesus is the Lamb of God. Everyone at the end of the age will know him in rest or wrath. He's not willing that any should perish. Nobody. Jesus died for every single person. His blood sacrifice, his resurrection from the dead, is that every single person that says, Lord, will you save me? He will say, yes. If God is speaking to you, we had a gentleman this morning who did the wisest thing he could ever do. He, gave, he stood up right when I asked, and he gave his life to Christ. Is there anyone else here this morning? And I'm going to ask you to stand. Just come stand in front of this altar. We will pray with you. No one will laugh at you. We'll only rejoice with you. Anyone at all? I did that. My heart was pounded out of my chest. I was thinking, there's no way I'm going up there. And I really felt like God just impressed upon my heart, you may not ever have another chance. I really had that impression. And I said, I'm not, I don't care what anyone thinks. I'm going forward. I want eternal life. I don't want the tribulation. I don't want the lake of fire. I want eternal life. I want the forgiveness of sin. I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. Anyone at all, just come forward if there's anyone at all. I guarantee you God is speaking to at least one, if not five, six people in this room. I'm not, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm just trying to tell you that God... If, if you don't want to come to God, it is not God keeping you seated. It is the other side. The enemy would never. He wants to use the Antichrist to take millions to hell. That's, that's the plan. Anyone at all. Just I've belabored it because each soul here means more To God than we can possibly imagine. He would have shed his blood for one soul. For the rest of us, if, if you know the Lord, I do pray. The spirit of prophecy, you have the spirit of Antichrist, which is false, but then you have the spirit of prophecy, which is true. The spirit of prophecy should not just inform us, not just inspire us, but it should transform us to draw near to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Draw near to Jesus. I already know the Lord. I'm not getting extra saved here today. I'm 100% saved. But what God does want us to do is to be filled more with the power of the Holy Spirit, to be more salt, to be more light, because we have a lot of people around us that are still in darkness and they need Jesus. And God wants to use us like that 144,000 witnesses. He wants us to be powerfully used. Amen? For his glory. Why don't you stand as we close and worship?